welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are continuing our 80s ladies series with Big Business. Two couples of sisters from New York and from the countryside discover that they are connected in an incredible way. This is um, quite the movie from my childhood. Clearly. And I don't think I realized like how much I had internalized some of this until we rewatched it for this podcast. Oh no. Yeah, I think it had way bigger of an effect on me than I than I think. I think we're going to need a guest to get into that then. We have an amazing guest today. We have Fiona Howitt from What Am I Rolling and the DMs Book Club. Fiona, thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So had you ever seen Big Business? Um, to reveal my age a little bit, it actually came out before I was born. So no. <laughs> Fair, fair. <laughs> Had anybody seen this movie besides you? I don't recall this ever being a movie that was known. Okay, I'm only slightly older than this film, so shut it. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is awesome. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. It's, it's, okay, it's not great, but it is very underrated. Yeah. That's really more where I'm coming from with it. It's not that, like, I think it's old. It's just that I don't remember this ever being at, like, a blockbuster or on a video shelf or anywhere. So, in, in my youth, <laughs> it was very common here for grocery stores to have, like, these small video rental setup. Mm. So, this was a movie I know I rented all the time from Skaggs, oh. our neighborhood rental store, which later became Albertsons. But to this day, my mom would call that place Skaggs. This is before like Blockbusters was a big deal here. But this was a movie that I would get all the time. Mm. And I'm just, I mean, switched at birth plus, you know, long lost twins and Lily Tomlin. I'm here for all these things. <laughs> These are all my favorite things. It's a movie that should be way dumber than it is. Agreed. It has no right being as good as it is. Yeah, I agree. And it is so perfect for a remake. I guess because they've got, because it's obviously based on like comedy of errors, right? Yeah. I'm sure there are other versions of it. Like you think of, say, like Freaky Friday or um, uh, Parent Trap. It's, it's got, ele- I think those films have elements of this in. But I agree, like having two very big stars, like obviously when it came out, it's big business. It's in the same year of like uh, Beaches as well yep. as Bette Midler's other huge big film that I, mm-hmm. I definitely watched on repeat as well. So I'm surprised, yeah, it's not been remade in some way, like in the last 20 years or so, just because it's so, it's so nice in a way. Like it's, I don't know, there's all elements of it that are great. It's perfect. It needs to happen. Perfect for a remake, maybe. Perfect movie. Let's tap the brakes. It's not perfect. Yes. It's, no, it's <laughs> not. There's, there's some, um, there are problematic things in there, yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Ah, 1988. Mm-hmm. The budget for this movie was $20 million. Uh, they had a lot of locations. And that those special effects are, are 88. That's pretty good. We'll, we'll get into how they pulled that off. But mm. I guarantee you a good chunk of money was sunk into that. That makes sense. I'm not mad. Yeah. I'm not mad. Yeah, I, th- I s- yeah, I assume most of the budget went on that one hotel, essentially, and just being able to like do the locations and stuff. Well, fun fact. Yeah? The Plaza Hotel refused to let them film there. Oh, really? All of that was a backlot set up at Disney Studios in Burbank. Oh, yeah, that was a lot of money. Mm. They could not actually film in New York. Uh-huh. Okay, I will say, uh, Juniper Hollow looks a lot like Stars Hollow <laughs> from Gilmore Girls. Like, there's one shot where I'm like, that 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 looks like Peach Street. Well, okay, except it's way more redneck. <laughs> <laughs> That's called set dressing. Mm. Yeah, they actually, to try to recoup construction costs, built a sitcom around the set called The Nut House. Um, that probably cost them even more money because it totally flopped. I really like the idea that a studio would make a show just because they built a set. This is the year before Disney finally got back in the animation game with The Little Mermaid. So, I mean, mm. they were still in... This This was the lean years for Disney. Mm. Fair. Title-wise, Touchstone briefly flirted with the idea of calling this film Double Trouble. 
Oh, but later there was a Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen film called yeah. Double Trouble. <laughs> I've seen that. I think it was a Halloween movie. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember that watching that on the on TV. Nah. I, think, so. I think no, no, none of those films were um, stellar. I guess because like with Double Trouble, it instantly refers like, oh, well, you definitely know what's going on. Whereas Big Business, yeah, it doesn't reveal it straight away, and it obviously. I guess I don't know like having that title obviously business is a big part of the story's plot yes. and but also having like well you know it's this is like almost like big news big gossip is actually two of these uh these these twins that are causing havoc in this hotel and you you can never you can't really tell the difference even though at several points they're clearly wearing different clothing but you're like oh yes. I never look down at this part it's always up here in the face so. yeah I just like that you can tell like, okay, clearly the Lily Tomlin ones belong to this family and the Bette Midlers belong to this family. But, and so like they have this natural inclination to things and yet there's still the one that is very like a go-getter and I'm going to be tough and, and I'm going to, you know, take down the man, which is very like the New York style. And then there's mm. the other one that's like, I like fancy things and I want to you know be wined and dined but like I have a heart and I want to take care of people and be nice and sweet mm -hmm. like that's still more the countryside so like I like that they played with like all of those facets with those characters mm -hmm. let's talk about that and get into our writing okay so our writers did nothing really I mean they've done some things but this is not one of those situations where we have writers that were like surprised by they went on to have huge careers Dory Pearson wrote precisely three films, The Imposter, Obsessed with a Married Woman, and Prince of Bel-Air. Oh. And this. Prince of Bel-Air, the precursor to the fresh Prince of Bel-Air. No, no. No. Different so I, movie. Yeah. Entirely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> she is the sister of casting director Diane Crittenden, who worked on, among other things, Star Wars, Three Men and a Baby, and Hackers. Mm -hmm. Okay. The other writer is Mark Reed Rubel, who before this wrote Almost Summer, Xanadu, and co-wrote the three films above. Okay. Xanadu. <laughs> oh. Okay. What a bizarre film that is. Like, let's take a moment to just remember that, again, some, again, I know we're talking about big business, but Xanadu. But, but Xanadu needs a moment. It does. Like, you've got your roller skates, you've got Olivia Newton-John, you've got the bit at the end where they're all, like, there's a camera moving and they're all sort of skating with them, a bit like Starlight Express. Oh. Which, oh, when I explain Starlight Express to somebody, they're like, this is a real thing. Yes. This is an actual thing that occurs. Yes. This occurs on stage in front mm -hmm. of other humans. Yes. Mm -hmm. Their response was, I need to see this now. Yeah, Starlight Express, though, the, the plot of it is very, again, not great either, but it's like, it's fine. It's about trains. So you're like, okay, yep. <laughs> fine. I'll, I'll, we'll go with that. We'll go with it. It's yep. trains, but yeah. Oh. Hi, Andrew Lloyd Webber. I hate him. <laughs> I respect him, but I, he's, I'm, I'm a Sondheim person. Oh, well, he's one of those people where you like, you, I, I always have to split the work from the artists with Andrew Lloyd Webber. Like, like, the thing is, though, like, obviously, his, his crowning jewel is obviously Phantom of the Opera. And like, reading all the stuff behind the scenes on that, you're like, oh, Andrew, you, he clearly thinks himself as this phantom to get with the lady of the lead. And you're just like, oh, Andrew, don't, please. Don't this do is it. just really creepy. Don't do it, Andrew. Oh, so, yeah, no, I, I definitely feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, no. After this, Marguerite Rubel wrote one episode each of Profiler and Raising Dad. Okay. Mm -hmm. They 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 made their amazing film and then they were done. I was gonna say, yeah, it just, it just feel like they had peaked ever so slightly and then gone back down into obscurity. How how do we feel about the writing of this movie? I like this. The story's good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the hijinks are believable, with the exception mm. of the boyfriends. Okay. Okay, like the boyfriends are all stupid, but I do not find it believable that the boyfriends would still date would well no, this is probably very true that the men would just date the twin. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's one hundred percent believable because heterosexual white men, because that's what all of these are. That makes one hundred percent yeah. But specifically the ex-husband with a child. That's confusing and wrong. Yeah. I see, I know what you mean. It's like, we hope that 
men in these films, they're not written as stupid, like, well, I, oh, oh, I didn't recognize, like, you'd think you'd recognize your ex wife. Like, you know, she's acting oddly. I don't think that's my ex wife instantly. Yeah. And at least, at least the son as well. Like, but again, maybe it's just like, because obviously they don't know each other that well. Or they sort of don't thing. know that there is a twin. True. But I guess, yeah, I, I feel like it did feel at times, certainly by the ending, where they're like, whoa, there's four of them? <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> like, oh, no. You'd, you'd hope they'd be like, we have a serious conversation, but I guess because it's a Disney film, it's like, well, everyone gets someone. It's a, it's like a whole panto thing. There has to be a marriage or there has to be a get together of some sort. Yeah. So. I guess it's, it's almost like, so things weren't going to work out with us. So I still got you, but I got the version of you that works better for me. <laughs> Like yeah. that's that's like really how it worked out, and I'm like, that's gross. <laughs> I just traded you for a different like version of you. What it really boils down to is that at no point do any of these male characters ask any questions. No, that's why it feels so gross. Yeah, we never even get a look from them of like they don't even mention you're being weird. Yeah, they just immediately go, you're amazing now. What happened? Yeah. No, there's no, literally no thought to why they're weird, except for the Italian guy, because he they, he's yeah. kind of forced into it. But every once in a while, he has to be like, huh, I don't, this is odd, but nobody else does. And it's so frustrating because if, because I could even get behind the aw shucks Disney-ness of it, if at least a couple of times they went, huh? <laughs> I... I could probably get behind it if it was, how did this happen? And how did y'all, why didn't y'all tell us? Have a sit down meal and chat <laughs> the sh- instead of therapy. Like, yes. Oh. If, if all the girls had gone, let's go to dinner. I'll explain it to you. And then we can see them going off on their own yeah. to explain it. Yeah. That would have been fine. Cause it's still cheeky and happy and yay. But then it's like, yes, we're going to explain this to you because we just figured this out. But none of the guys ask. They're just like, yeah. Also, New York Sadie is just fine with what happened. Just, you know, it's all good. We're going to go on my yacht. She still gets money and a hot Italian guy. She's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think she, out of all of them, she's kind of set. Obviously, she like loses that big sale and stuff like that. And it's like, well... I got what I wanted. It, I don't kind of, yeah, it's kind of like she's done worse. The other three obviously are working to save Juniper Hollow in some way. So it's, it, it kind of, it, yeah, it's kind of like, well, she's the not evil character. I don't think any of them are the selfish character, I guess. Yes. You still get, everyone gets what they want. And you're like, like ultimately she's like, no, the sale. But it turns out, oh, business wasn't the bigger priority. It's about being a nice person. But then she still gets everything. So it, yeah, I don't, I don't know if, if it's a version of this film where you could have like, well, you know, we saved the town and then she's like, oh, boo-hoo, my business is is dead. Or I don't know. Like, again, not Disney related. So I don't know. Disney tries so hard to simplify morals and always makes them way more complicated when you dig under the surface. Absolutely. Agreed. <laughs> I like that. I like that one sister was kind of like the bad sister. <laughs> but... Like, yeah, she didn't lose anything. And so it wasn't gonna, it wasn't, there were no consequences for her, really. But I guess, but obviously, so each each pair of twins was obviously like, here's a, here's a good, strong, like, oh, I, a strong, yeah. embedded their contest. And the other one was weaker, in quotation marks, sure. because she liked other things. But I felt like this, in the sort of the Juniper Hollow twins, it's sort of like, <laughs> Lily Tom- Tomlinson's one was like, I'm strong, so I'm defending my right for the town. Like, compared to like, big business, money, 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 like, strong, I don't know, like, those were definitely more like you could compare and contrast those two. Yes. Whereas the other two, obviously, they're like less so because obviously one wants to be in the city and one is like a city's not for me, and that's kind of like I guess compared to those two at the top. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think those archetypes were really good to to just show how they were not suited to their sibling. Yes. I think it shows how those particular sisters are the ones who ended up in the quote unquote wrong place i don't want to say the wrong family but the wrong place for their just like natural being and you are correct the structure of the film was based loosely on the comedy of errors by william shakespeare i do think all of the comedy of of errors were believable relatively like the way the way the twins get mixed up they did that very well mostly 
And then, you know, just like the, the missing each other at the airport, like why the Italian guy is like, like this is who I'm going to talk to. Like all of those things. Yes. You have to assume that they wouldn't notice that they're acting very strange, but they do comment on it. They're like, you changed clothes. You bought a new outfit. Mm -hmm. They do comment on those things. So they're not all completely dumb. They're just like, we, you don't, we don't know that you have a twin. So they're all operating off of a very tiny bit of information. Mm-hmm. Still. <laughs> but we're trying to judge it off of 2021 and that is much less likely Agreed. to happen. So now it would have to be like the twins are in completely different countries in order for that to like play. If this were an actual Disney Disney product, this is actually a touchstone product and it was this this is a movie for grown-ups. Yeah. If this were a Disney kids movie like a Freaky Friday, I wouldn't care. This is a movie for grown-ups. Give me at least a little bit more questioning, especially with the accents. It takes mm. a good hour before anybody questions the accent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, come on. <laughs> okay, it's not perfect. <laughs> this is a movie for grown-ups who want light fare. That's very true. And it's not really a romance. Or shoot him up, shoot him up. No, it's a farce. Yeah, it's a farce. We don't really, we don't make those anymore. No, I, I, you're right. That I hadn't actually considered that it was, it's, it's made and aimed at adults. Because obviously, to me, because I, I watched it on a product placement like Disney Plus. Yeah. Since so I was like, oh, it's, a, it's one for children per se, or, or one for young adults and stuff. So yeah, actually thinking about it, yeah, it's not really child friendly at all. You had the only child in it. The irritating small boy who's like, <laughs> I like to shoot things, and then gets tied up in a toy store briefly, and then is like, oh, it's then repentant for all their, se- their sins and gives back money. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what? <laughs> so- <laughs> it falls under because they didn't really have this in 1988, but now we have this whole thing of family movies yes. where you get some of these more grown up movies, but that they're grown up just in the story they're telling, but you could sit down and watch this with your family. Yeah. And you're not going to have, there's going to be a handful of jokes where you're like, oh, I don't know about that one for the kiddos. But otherwise, yeah, you know, most of this is pretty easy enough to watch with kids. <laughs> but like, I don't know if you, you folks have the same definition that we do in the UK about family movies, but there's always something in family movies where there's something for the dads, uh, which is usually like some very beautiful woman comes in or anything <laughs> like that. Oh, I don't know if there is something for in this particular one. Possibly apart from that bit in Juniper Hollow where Bette Midler's like dancing and yodeling with the cow. Oh, yeah. I think that might be it because obviously a little bit of skirt action and stuff like that. But I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Also, just Bette Midler. I mean, she's beautiful. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, oh. Lily Tomlin. Yeah. I, I, I would choose Lily Tomlin over Bette Midler any day. <laughs> fine. 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 That's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll have Bette. You can have Lily. <laughs> Bette, yeah. I think I've professed my love for Lily Tomlin over and over and over. We stand. We stand. Always. (laughs) Let's talk about our director, who I think might have a big part of the success of this movie as well. Our director is Jim Abrahams. Before this, with the Zucker brothers, he co-directed Airplane, Top Secret, and Ruthless People. Mm. After this, he directed Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael, Hot Shots, Hot Shots Part Deux and Mafia. Okay. And he also co-wrote a lot of these movies and helped co-write Police Squad and the Naked Gun films. Mm. You could not have asked for a better director for farce. He definitely has a theme, doesn't he? (laughs) Apart from getting the Zucker brothers to do this themselves, you got the next best person to direct this movie. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, you've got to know somebody who gets the silliness of this because this is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But you have to take it seriously. And that's the trick to farce. It's ridiculous, but you have to take it seriously. Police Squad was revolutionary at the time for taking Leslie Nielsen, Mm -hmm. an actor known for incredibly dramatic B-movie character roles, and saying, now we're going to give you a whole bunch of ridiculous shit to say, and you're going to say it as seriously as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it works. This is a little bit lighter and a little bit sillier, but again, it's still that thing of the actors have to be completely invested in the character for it to work. You're cartoon characters, but you have to believe that you're real. Yeah, definitely. 
I think it also helps that our two leads, they take it all very seriously. And so the people around them can be more caricatures and be mm-hmm. a little goofier and silly. And that helps like solidify the farce, mm-hmm. which I love. But I was just going to say, because obviously just looking at, like you said, so you got Aeroplane and Hot Shots and Hot Shots Part Deux. They are films that are parodies and they're deliberately mm-hmm. parodies or remakes of the films deliberately. So feel like big business obviously is, is written almost straight. So all that fast stuff obviously mm-hmm. is added in. And yeah, from the director, you wouldn't ask for, well, you couldn't ask for a perfect person who's obviously got this inf- this sort of stuff, but using the script to bounce off that. So I think it's, yeah, I guess for me, because I remember Aeroplane is like joke after joke after joke, same with Hot Shots. This oh, isn't, yeah. it just builds and builds mm-hmm. and it's all about the characters and the relationships between them. Like there's a big focus on that, the dynamics between the two t- twins. Yes. That hour to set it up. And then, oh, suddenly, you know, they meet or they don't meet. And it's, yeah, so you instantly care about these characters so much. Whereas, I guess, in Aeroplane, obviously, you have, like, from what I remember, the, the nun that plays a guitar. You know, I like I remember certain characters in it, but I can't remember, like, them having meaningful connections, whereas, obviously, in Big Business, they do. It, it is an interesting stretch for him to go from satire to a pure a heartwarming farce-type film, mm. but he still brings all the same elements to it. Mm, definitely. However... I don't think he's the number one reason this movie succeeds. He couldn't be. And that's because we're talking about 80s ladies. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we have to talk about our cast. We do. And we start with Bette Midler playing Sadie Shelton and Sadie Ratliff. Obviously, she was a Broadway legend. She had only very occasionally appeared in films until The Rose And then after that, before this film, she was in Down and Out in Beverly Hills and Ruthless People. After this, Oliver and Company, Beaches, Scenes from a Mall, Hocus Pocus, Get Shorty, The First Wives Club, Drowning Mona, What Women Want, The Stepford Wives, The Women, Cats and Dogs, The Revenge of Kitty Galore, Parental Guidance, The Addams Family from 2019, The Politician, and The Glorias. And coming soon, she will be in The Addams Family 2 and the recently announced Hocus Pocus 2. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> like, I was not a crazy Hocus Pocus person, but I did thoroughly enjoy it. And I'm very excited for Hocus Pocus 2. What do we think of Bette Midler in this movie? From my, like, again, this is the first time I've seen it. I've seen obviously, Bette Midler's of like my, my first, my first Bette Midler experience was actually uh, Stepford Wives, the remake of Stepford Wives, and how much, again, you could tell, like, obviously, she's playing a certain type of character in that, uh, which is obviously very different to this one. But you can tell how much she is enjoying it. Yes. The same thing here. Like she's playing obviously two very different and very distinct characters, but is bringing that performance. And I agree, like we were saying before, like taking it seriously, but at the same time that there is joy. Like like I said, that the cow scene. I'm going to keep going back to the cow scene because <laughs> it's just. I, again, I know obviously, like, of course she's got the voice, of course she's, and she just sells it. And I, mm-hmm. there's just a little bit of joy when she's like singing to the cow, like just like <laughs> the hand to the side. You're like, perfect. And and but then equally when she's in the boardroom and she's like being like the big shot and and like is is hard on 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 her sister on all these people again is again not caricatures or just heightening those levels of like these archetypes we've got. And she just brings it. And I, I could tell that like, you can really, you can see she really enjoys doing it. And it is reveling in that, that both of those kinds of characters. We talked about Barbara in our Oscar series. That feels like the opposite of Barbara. Barbara feels like she wants to dominate and control that leading role and be that presence on stage. Bet has the ability to do that. We know this because she's done it on stage for decades, but she is also more than happy to just dive into a character and be that character. That's the biggest difference and what makes her the opposite. She is fine being a leading lady, but she is also fine just being a pure character on film or on stage. Uh, she's, you can t- Yeah, you can tell she's having fun. Yep. And she is playing these different archetypes. She's playing a different character. And I just, it makes me think of, you know, who she is and, you know, First Wives Club and, you know, Stepford Wives and... um she was also in a version of Gypsy. Yeah. Which mm. I, uh, it was a T, I think it was a TV version. And I was just like, she's so great in all of that. What's really amazing is how reactive she is. Yes. Like, because we're going to get to the driving force behind the comedy is Lily Tomlin. Agreed. The reactive force is Bette Midler. Yeah. 
but has such huge expressions, which plays so well with what Lily does really well. Well, and the one thing Lily does that Bet does not is the physical comedy. Yeah. Bet doesn't do that. And that's not a slide against her. No. That's just what Lily can do. Well, how about a Who Could Have Been Better? Yeah, if we were going to remake it, maybe for this year or something like that, who would you put as Sadie? How about at the time, Who Could Have Been Better? At the time. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Go for it. This movie was originally written for Barbara Streisand. <gasps> Wow. Throw down. <laughs> I choose back because she's a better actress. Yeah, agreed. Barbara's not going to get the comedy. She's not. And she's going to try to take the scene over because that's what she does. She's not going to play the farce. No. No. Look, we've seen Barbara. We actually have a lot of respect for Barbara's talent. She is really amazing. But she's going to do anything to take that scene over that she possibly can. <laughs> mm hmm that's what she does. Mm-hmm. No, nope, it's Bette Midler all the way. I think, but it's, in- it's interesting. So yeah, because you, when you compare them, obviously they've got amazing you know, voices, they've got great cred for Broadway and, and films as well. But I agree. There is something about Bette Midler where she's willing to be silly or willing to fail in quotation marks yes. where I can never imagine Barbara Streisand ever putting herself in a situation where she looks silly and people will commentate on how silly it is. And you can tell... As a result, when Bette does that, she enjoys it. It's like, it doesn't matter what people think. So, I yeah, I definitely see that. Can you ever imagine Barbara Streisand milking a cow? No. No. <laughs> but I can bet Mentler because I've seen it. You've seen yeah, it. But, but you, can see, you can see that Barbara sees that in the script and is like, we're cutting that. That's below me. Yep. Yeah, no. And Barbara, Barbara is willing to look silly if she can be elegant doing it. Well, if it elevates her character. But no, no. And let's get into the counterpart to Bette Midler. It is Lily Tomlin, Mm -hmm. Queen of Comedy, playing Rose Shelton and Rose Ratliff. We just talked about her in 9 to 5. She's incredible. (laughs) That whole speech at the farm, I don't have notes on it here. I would so be willing to bet she improved every bit of that. Mm. It wouldn't surprise me. Halfway in, when she starts... When she starts talking about, like, you know, pigs dying and different stuff, she's talking about all sorts of weird shit going on at the farm. And I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, you're making this up off the top of your head. I can tell. <laughs> she's just so funny. I just love how intense she is as uh, Ratliff. And then when she's Shelton, she's just, like, she's just so nervous. <laughs> Anytime she sees a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And like, she's just like, oh, oh, like, she's just like out of breath. And like, she's just, she is like a lost puppy. That first dog she finds, and then it goes up the elevator. And yeah. It's not the dog going up or the scarf. It's her reaction of like, oh my God, call the police. I killed it. I don't know what happened. Press the down button, Rose. She can she can literally do anything. I don't think there's anything that that woman cannot do comedy wise. No, there, there's not. There's nothing. And again, a perfect foil to Bette Midler. So I'm wondering though, would you have seen them switched in the role? So if Lily played Sadie's character and Bette played Rose's character, I've thought about that, mm. and I would love to see it just from an exercise and what would that actor do in that role but i'd keep waiting for bet to play the hard-nosed sister yeah because that is something that bet is very very good at mm-hmm. and so it's like at least one of these characters needs to be bet medler playing hard-nosed tough yeah ruthless well that would be the the rose ratliff <sighs> but i don't know i don't know if it would play as well in yeah. that version oh, yeah i agree Sure, but that's how that would come out. But I also, I also think it's very funny that both the Lily characters both ended up being Rose and both the were Sadie because in any other version of the script, their names would also have been swapped. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> uh, just before the cameras rolled on each of her Rose Shelton scenes, actress-comedian Lily Tomlin would spin around in a circle several times until she got dizzy in order to exhibit the airheaded qualities of this character. <laughs> Amazing. That makes sense. She has this like weird pseudo-method streak with her 
it's not like she dives into like this deep character study, but she figures out physically something that she needs mm. to do to it to get in the moment of the character. We saw this with nine to five. Like there's these little things she does that that she can go, okay, I'm there. Boom. On camera. Well she she yeah, it was only with the she hadn't been in a ton and ton of movies. Nine to five was the first big thing movie wise mm. that she did. Now we have the who could have been better for this because they wrote it for two actresses. Mm. How about Goldie Hawn in this role? Mm. I'm not sure about that. Goldie Hawn can be Rose Shelton all day. She can. She can do the comedy. I'm not picking her over over Lily Tomlin, though. Agreed. (laughs) Now, Lily Tomlin and Goldie Hawn... That could be interesting, especially if you put Lily in the Sadie role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Or we could put Dolly as Rose Ratliff. We put Dolly in anything. <laughs> yeah. Why, Dolly why Parton she not in it? all day. Yeah. She's not in it in the background as, as like the manager of the hotel or something. It wouldn't surprise me at this point. Why wasn't she in Jupiter Hollow? That's the question. Yeah. Oh, she's just there. Yeah. Or she could have been Mama Shelton and Mama Ratliff. That's what should have happened. We needed another set of twins. All the twins. But I don't know. The Ratliff family was pretty freaking great. The whole downtrodden mining town. Well, let's go to the hospital again. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's bad, but it's also really funny. No, I. You know, it's it's a very good point because, like, obviously that bit at the beginning where you know, you get the big fast car comes in and like, where is the hospital? And it's just like. Well, um, it's gotta be this, uh, and you can tell it sets up that this life is not one of rushing and stuff, and it sets no. up instantly what we're expecting. But that bit where you turn around and you see uh, the mother, and she's like, "It's happened again." Like, right? Well, okay then. <laughs> when the doctor, c- it's it's twins. Wonderful. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Really good. <sighs> Love it. All right. Let's talk about our two other main actors that we're going to get here. We have Fred Ward playing Rune Dimmick. Before this, Fred Ward was in Escape from Alcatraz, Carney, Southern Comfort. We talked about him in The Right Stuff. He was Gus Grissom. Silkwood, Uncommon Valor, Swing Shift, Secret Admirer, Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, and The Prince of Pennsylvania. After this, Tremors, which many people know him from. Yeah. Catch Fire, Henry and June, The Player, Bob Roberts, Shortcuts, Naked Gun 33 and a Third, The Final Insult, Tremors 2, Aftershocks, Chain Reaction, Best Men, The Crow Salvation, Road Trip, Joe Dirt, Corky Romano, Enough, Sweet Home Alabama, 30 Minutes or Less, Two Guns, and a few episodes of True Detective Season 2. He's a that guy. He is a that guy. Mm. He's really fun in this movie. Yeah, another person who's is clearly enjoying taking mm-hmm. this time and, and creating this character who's again not simple, that's not the word, but taking their time and enjoying like the little things and like being wowed, like going to the city, like that bit where he's um he's looking at like the the you know the the, the sort of the red light district mm-hmm. and is oh you can tell like oh I'm not supposed to be here, but it's not like oh this is awful and, and like panicking and stuff, it's just like taking this is time. not for me. Yeah. He's like, oh, no, thank you, thank you. And then carries on, like, yes. on his journey, So, it's, which is nice. He's also the only boyfriend who's kind of like, something's different, but I like it. <laughs> mm. Like, not in a bad way, but just really more like, like, I don't know. I think he was the only boyfriend that I really was like, you're all right. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you're all right. He was all right the whole time. Yeah. He's, got, he's just going to play putt-putt and win, and then put a diamond in the ring. Yeah. yeah. That, that's it. That, that was his whole arc. <laughs> it was going to be for the wrong lady, and then he found the right lady, mm-hmm. who happened to look just like the wrong lady, which still bothers me. But that's the only one where I'm like, this one ended correctly. Here's the thing. He almost always, because he's got kind of an action-y, gruff, craggy face, he's almost always a gruff dude. And in mm. this one, he's such a himbo, it's wonderful. Yeah, very cute. He's just a cute, lovable dude. Yeah, and his B story was fun. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I liked it. And finally, for our main cast, Edward Herman playing Graham Sherborne. 
Before this, he was in The Paper Chase, The Day of the Dolphin, The 1974 Great Gatsby, The Great Waldo Pepper, Eleanor and Franklin, Reds, Death Valley, Annie, The Purple Rose of Cairo, The Man with Run Red Shoe, The Lost Boys, and Overboard. After this, Born Yesterday, My Boyfriend's Back, Richie Rich, The Face on the Milk Carton from television, Nixon, Double Take, The Cat's Meow, Gilmore Girls, Intolerable Cruelty, The Aviator, Factory Girl, I Think I Love My Wife, and The Town, The Dreaded Sundown. I love Edward Herman. I've talked (laughs) about it several times on this show. It's weird seeing him as baby Edward Herman, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, he looks the exact same, don't get me wrong, but he's also not a, a, a... statue-esque older man no no he's that tall he just is not quite as uh rounded out i love him and also almost certainly by disney terms gay yeah oh they are definitely gay which i 100 percent missed as a child but i was just like oh yeah they're gay in a very fun way it's very yeah. fun and it's also by today's standards very obvious that they're gay yeah but it's just like Oh, yeah, Disney put that in there. And incidental. Like, yes, it's just there. It's not like they're making a giant deal out of it, except yeah. for the rune scene, which is also adorable. Yeah. Well, it's adorable. And yeah, it's just like, oh, yeah, this is kind of, I don't know, they're also kind of tokenized a little. Yes, a little bit. absolutely. That's the part I don't like. I would like yeah. it to be more explicit by today's standards, but mm-hmm. uh I'm kind of shocked that it's like, oh, in 88, y'all did that and nobody said shit. Yeah, it gets to a point where like uh, like Rune goes, oh, you sharing a bed? And there's that moment when you're like, oh God, is, is there going to be something else? Oh, don't be silly. Come share with me. You know, and it's like, <laughs> oh. Like, because you, for whatever reason, in my heart, I was like, oh, is it going to be a negative yeah. thing? You know, is it going to be oh, a punching down thing? And it's not. Because obviously it's coming from a character who, you know, it's like, that's cool cool well let me help you you know thinking yeah. it's a problem that they're sharing a they, they, they're not sharing a bed they're like no it's fine we can do this all together and it's and that's a comedy in itself in that sense sure. like oh that's oh it's not you if anything i was quite glad that my expectation was like as, as on me you know so. so oh same when i rewatched it it was like oh no is this a is this a bad is this mm-hmm. a bad but instead rune's gonna go jump in bed with the other guy which is like okay <laughs> okay which is still not the best, but by 1988 standards, it's pretty okay. I'm yeah. going to enjoy the joke. Mostly yeah. because we get to see Fred Ward get objectified. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. I'm okay with that. All right. So now we move on to our pawns. These are random people of note. People who were not in the movie long enough for us to talk about as main characters, but uh, are definitely notable in some way. We have Deborah Rush playing Binky Shelton. This is the New York mom. Uh, she was in in and out You've Got Mail, and Orange is the New Black. We have Daniel Garrell, Chuck, who is Graham's partner. He was in Chariots of Fire, Drop Dead Fred, Sisters, the television series, and The Namesake. Michele Placido, playing Fabio Alberici. He is an Italian romance lead, mostly, but he is working on directing a film currently. Ooh. Barry Primus, playing Michael. He was in The Rose, Space Camp, and Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Michael Gross playing Dr. J. Marshall. It's the dad from Family Ties and, of course, in Tremors. I feel like this is a little mini Tremors thing mm. beforehand. Mary Gross playing Judy. She was in the 1981 to 1985 cast of SNL, the not Lorne Michaels years. She was also in Troop Beverly Hills, The Santa Claus. She was Katie Kaboom's mom in Animaniacs and was on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. There you go. Whoa. <laughs> we have Seth Green playing Jason. I completely missed that. I completely <laughs> missed it. Because obviously I know Seth Green is like like infamous for doing sm- like small parts and then Buffy yeah. and then all the other things. And I was like, I recognize that small irritating child, but I don't know where from. And then looks it up and was like, bloody hell. Oof. If it is a redheaded child in a movie from the 80s. It is likely to be Seth Green. Yeah. That's that was his bread and butter. <laughs> God, he's funny. Trying to mm. beat Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. <laughs> I love Seth Green so much. I love him so much. Good knock you out, Mom. He does a pretty good Stallone impression as a child. He's he's a prodigy. 
Mm-hmm. Playing Mr. Stokes, Louis Arquette, the father of Rosanna, Patricia, Alexis, Richmond, and David Arquette. He also has a very fun role in Waiting for Guffman. Al Mancini, playing the waiter in the restaurant. Uh, we talked about him for our 1967 series because he was Tassos Bravos in The Dirty Dozen. Mm, okay. Nicholas Rutherford, playing Little Levon. He is now a writer on SNL and some Adult Swim shows. Ryan Francis playing Merle Ratliff. He was young Peter Pan in Hook and on Sisters, the TV series. Louis Ruxire, the taxi victim that gets whacked in the face <laughs> by Sadie Ratliff. He was a longtime TV financial host on the show Wall Street Week. Okay. And he made okay. appearances on Mr. Rogers, Northern Exposure, and Gordy. And Shirley Mitchell as one of the stockholders. She is a TV actress from the very early days of television. So like the early 50s. Mainly she was on Please Don't Eat the Daisies. Oh, there's there's one more that I have to add. Uh-oh. The hotel manager who looks exactly like Kyle McLaughlin. Like he looks yes. so much like him. It bothered me. And I was like, is that Kyle McLaughlin? It's not. But I have to look him up. It's John Vickery. He's a bit player who's been in a ton of like random stuff but also a lot of star trek mm-hmm. so yeah but like i was like the guy who looks like kyle mclaughlin is john Vickery. that gets us to trivia trivia this was a mini cycle of 1980s movies that were made by touchstone pictures and starred bet midler so i guess when touchstone started to branch off they decided bet was one of the stars they were going to build from the movies included Ruthless People, Down and Out in Beverly Hills, and Outrageous Fortune, and this was like the last one in that mini cycle that came through. The name of the big business is a conglomerate called Moramax, similar to Miramax, which at the time of production was an independent group until 1993 when the Walt Disney Company bought Miramax. Mm. Touchstone was its first adult foray but miramax became its serious art house place that they put movies through yeah miramax was pretty cool for a while mm-hmm. well yeah 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 i don't think it was ever really good by the guy who helmed it the films were good they are they're very good films again it's, try- it's trying to split people from the work but it's i think it is very hard to do with that particular person so i definitely correct feel- correct there are some of those movies that you're like Ah, yeah, oh, yep. 100%. Not trying to, not, no, no. The stereophonic sound on the film does not kick in until the end of the prologue, ready for the transition to modern day. Until that point, the sound is mono. That's a fun little sound trick they did there. Just try to make it old sounding for when we're in the 40s, and then they blast the sound up when we come to the 80s. Sadie and Rose are named after screenwriter Mark Reed Rubel's mother and twin sister. Okay, that's oh, cute. That's, quite, that's nice. I like that. After the two sets of mismatched twins meet for the first time, Country Sadie comments about City Sadie, Isn't She Divine? An obvious reference to Bette Midler's stage and screen title, Divine Miss M. <laughs> it's cute. Mm-hmm. Although Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin play two sets of twins, Tomlin is actually six years older than Bette Midler. The original plan was to use body doubles for Midler and Lily Tomlin wearing lookalike prosthetics, but the results proved to be a complete bomb, according to Jim Abrahams. Instead, they achieved it by going to Industrial Light and Magic and getting the results after five months of post-production. I guarantee you about a quarter of the budget was spent Gosh. with ILM. Yeah, that makes sense. Gosh. Oh, five months for like just a handful of scenes? That's insane. Well, in the 80s, yeah, that makes sense. Because there's they did do a lot of like them crossing over mm-hmm. and like interacting with each other. And back then that was really hard. Mm-hmm. Even now it's hard, but they, they've perfected it so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they do, there are only a couple of times and it's really when they finally meet each other. That's when you can every once in a while see the superimposition a little bit yeah just a just a little bit and i mean also disney's got a really super high def transfer so like you're gonna catch that stuff but they went to the top people to do yeah. it i'm i'm not mad about it it's no. 88 like i'm i can't judge it by today's technology they didn't have that they did it as practically as they could and then went to ilm to try to fill the gaps 
yeah that's pretty pretty amazing that's what you should do mm-hmm. yeah i yeah i love it when modern films use practical effects for for ev- for everything they possibly can yep and just use cgi and ilm stuff for safety and to fill in stuff they like location crap and to continuity the name of the place in west virginia where both sweats of twins were born was jupiter hollow jane lou the town where the doctor provides direction to the closest hospital is an actual town in west virginia jupiter hollow is a commune less than eight miles from that city in the town of weston west virginia oh okay these are real places Mm. Jim Abrahams based one of the boardroom scenes on an experience he had when many employees of a large agency all tried to get him to sign with them. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> and one scene takes place in FAO Schwartz when it was located up by Central Park in New York City. Another 1988 hit film also featured a scene there, that of Tom Hanks and Robert Loja in Big. Really pushing the FAO Schwartz. Really pushing the big titles in 1988. I mean... Mm-hmm. Yeah, 1988 was the big year. And that is all the trivia for this film, and that means it is time to rate the movie. So, for every film, we have a movie-specific rating system for this movie. Are we going with golf ball engagement rings? Yes. Yeah, that was my thought as well. I was thinking about that earlier today. It's like, what should the rating be? Golf ball engagement rings. Too good. I will start... I'm going to give it a four. Wow. Look, there's things to complain about. It's not the most perfect movie in the world, but it's also really entertaining. Remember watching this the first time? We watched it a couple of times. First time, I felt, I don't know, it feels kind of weird. Then I watched it again and went, no, this is a fun movie. It's really fun. It's simple. It's light. There's nothing too horrible about it. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows about it? Yeah. Like, I feel like this is a movie that just got lost and and didn't even get to be a cable classic. Like, it's one of those movies that just sort of disappeared. And it shouldn't have. It's really good. Four golf ball engagement rings for me. <laughs> Fiona, how many golf ball engagement rings are you going to give this movie? I am shocked, David. You've not said four as a four golf ball. Never, never mind. <laughs> Sorry. That's how my improvising brain works. My favorite part of him playing mini golf is when he throws the grass to see the wind. Yes. Because I'm like, <laughs> like he's so serious about the golf game, which is fine. But when you're putting, wind is not a factor. <laughs> but he takes it very seriously. He's a mini golf legend. It's yeah, so good. He's got to win. He's got to win the tournament and then get, you know, give the engagement ring and change it up. Like it, it makes sense that he's taking it super seriously. So for me, um, again, first time watching this film, enjoyed it overall. I thought it was really good. I mean, a big fan of Lily and Bet. I agreed. It's it doesn't feel it's aged too much in terms of it doesn't like obviously there's certain aspects of it which we've sort of referred to. I I'm gonna give it three golf ball engagement rings out of out of whatever just because I think I was I was pleasantly surprised by it. I don't know if I'd watch it again. But I definitely think it's one I would introduce to certainly my partner if we were going to do, we just like, let's watch something that's just totally chill. Mm-hmm. As, you know, we don't want anything too heavy, per se. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think this is the perfect, as a family film, but there's nothing, there's nothing for the dads in it, yep. per se. So I think it's perfect. <laughs> we'll, do, we'll go with that. Free golf ball engagement rings for me. I, I'm 100% stealing that phrase for the dads. I don't. <laughs> From now on. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just too great um i think i think i'm gonna go right down the middle between y'all with a, a three and a half because mm. I, I i do adore this movie and i think part of that's just the nostalgia but there's stuff i would fix there's stuff i would fix dudes just ask some questions some simple questions i think that's where i would like that's my biggest problem is the dudes is all the boyfriend stuff i i'm like this is problematic and it's problematic by 88 standards as well as today mm-hmm. and i i want i want this movie remade i want them to yes. remake this movie and i need these two ladies to make cameos like they yes. have to be in the film they have to be the bums have them be the bums i would love them to be the bums outside or the hotel managers i don't know mm. or on the board i don't care they would be in the boardroom let's yeah. be clear that would yeah. be amazing I need the movie to be remade. So please make that happen. 
mm-hmm. world. I'm putting it out in the world. But three, it's a three and a half for me. Mm-hmm. The series has been very good to us in ratings and quality of films. It has been. We haven't had a dud. No. And that concludes the episode for today. Fiona, thank you so much for coming and talking with us on the show. Oh, thank you for li- listen to, listening to me waffle on about a film I just watched and I'm going, I, I liked it. Thanks. So no, I appreciate it. I appreciate all the trivia as well. It's amazing. That's what we do here. That, that's our that's our show. I mean. Oh, great. Uh, if people want more Fiona, where can they find more Fiona? Wow. If, well, if you want to hear me talk more about films, there's no podcast for that, except from this one. But uh, otherwise, I run What's My Rolling, which is a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. Uh, we do all sorts of different RPG systems, not necessarily D&D uh, or, or Pathfinder or any of the big ones. We've done stuff like Honey Heist. We've done stuff like Fate Accelerated. Diane was on one called Slug Blaster, which yep. you're playing teenagers on hoverboards and doing a big race and all i remember from that uh, series was like it was bum bags bum bags was very important or uh fanny packs for the american audience here yep and that was a lot of fun i we've also <laughs> been on uh, i've also been on powered by the players which diana runs uh as various uh, one shots on that which is great the other podcast i do um if you are like actually all i care about is D, and i'm like that's very good great if you want to find out more about the lore of it or reading bits of it, which you can improve upon or put them into your campaigns, we've got the DMs Book Club, which is a weekly book club format sort of thing where we just take a bit of Dungeons and Dragons and we read about it and put it into our campaigns. And you can find the What Am I Rolling podcast and the DMs Book Club wherever you listen to podcasts. And that's me. Yes. And if you want to learn more about those things, you should go follow Fiona because she's brilliant. That's just, those are, these are facts. <laughs> these oh. are true facts these are true facts fine fine i'll take that yeah <laughs> all right well thank you again and until next time have a good movie thanks for listening be sure to review and rate us on itunes stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast for questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.